0: yes holy spirit you are welcome here lord we pray that you would be with us this morning that you have invaded the spaces where we are Um, though we are not physically together we know we are together in spirit and together with you so lord i pray that this morning as we hear your word we would not harden our hearts and that your will lord would be done even in this very message god would you come would you take up my words and flush away anything that is not of you and fill me with your spirit so that as we listen we hear from you god we love you and we trust you we pray this in your name and give you all the glory amen good morning church family welcome to church it is great to see you guys i hope you're popping in the comments waving saying hi I'm Emma, I am one of the leaders here at Flood. I also have the privilege to be married to the man that you normally see in this space teaching you. Um, So I get to come to you as a leader, the person normally behind the camera, um, and as your pastor's wife, which is just fantastic. So um, I'm just going to apologize up front. Normally, as I said, I'm behind the camera, not in front of the camera. So if I go a little long, I'm going to do my best. (laughs) Let's just, let's move on so we can avoid that. We are currently in a series called Teach Us to Pray, and we've been moving through the Lord's Prayer as a way for us to learn more about what it is to pray in our whole lives. But I hope that you've noticed the series hasn't just been about how we pray. It's actually about what goes on in our entire lives and the posture of our hearts. We start with our conversations with God and then we move into how we actually live and breathe with God. Jesus teaches us to pray then like this. And that doesn't mean he's giving us exact words to repeat over and over again all the time, but he's teaching us concepts, what it means to relate to God and how we should continue to do that. So this week we're moving into the next breath of this prayer, the next movement of our relationship with God in our lives, which is after we've said, Lord, your kingdom come. Now we pray, Lord, your will be done. And as we pray that, the posture of our hearts that I want you to remember is surrender and trust. Those two words, we're going to come back to them in a little bit. So hold on to them, surrender and trust. But before we do that, let's just do a quick recap of where we've been so far. We pray our Father to open the prayer. This is affirming our intimate and personal relationship with God. Jesus prayed Abba, which is invoking Daddy, Dad, this close personal relationship. We also pray Hour, which calls us to attend to the fact that we're a community of God. We are now a whole family as His children. It's not just Jesus's dad, and He's not just my dad, but He's your dad too. So we're all together under His name. And that's what we say next. We say, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Cause he's not just our dad, right? He's also the creator of the universe. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He has more power than anything we could ever imagine. So when we hallow his name, we are remembering that he is sacred, set apart, sanctified, and that all of us who are marked by his name as part of his family belong to those same truths about his character. When we hallow his name, We are remembering the wholeness of his character, his power, and his glory. That's then when we start to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come reminds us that as His name is above all names, so His kingdom is above all kingdoms, and we, as His family, are part of that kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But because we live here on earth, we continue to interact with the kingdoms of darkness. So we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, because we want to see more of what marks His kingdom here in the present day on earth. Even before the new creation comes, we want more healing, more mercy, more goodness, more kindness, grace, and justice. So we pray your kingdom come so we can see more of him right now. And there are many scholars who have actually suggested that the passage we're looking at today, your will be done is just an elaboration of your kingdom come. Um, this especially happens because if you read the passage that teaches the Lord prayer in Luke, you will see that your will be done isn't there. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke just says your kingdom come. So some people have suggested that Matthew was just trying to make this a little more flowery, a little more poetic, help us understand what it means to say your kingdom come. But I don't think there's anything in the Gospels on accident. Matthew would never have plagiarized the words of Jesus into his gospel. And it remains there to help us understand an important piece of how we live. Also, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, this line, your will be done, comes right in the middle. It is the central piece of this entire prayer on which all the rest builds itself. So before I say any more, let's open scripture. Let's read. We're going to start again from Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five. So the scripture says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Those are Jesus's do not pray like this, do not act like this, it's the preface. Now we're into the do, this is then how we pray. Pray then like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there we go. Let's say it again from Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week when we talked about your kingdom come, we recognized that we were asking for the kingdom of light to come and conquer the kingdoms of darkness here on earth. This is a big prayer. It's global, it's cosmological. It's about the whole of the earth. I contend that as we get into your will be done, we're praying the same prayer But on a personal level where the big prayer actually starts, this is a similar concept, it's a similar prayer, but it's the beginnings, all choice of the light against the dark starts within ourselves. So this conversation, when we say your will be done, this conversation is a question of your will, God's will versus my will. This is where those two words, surrender and trust come in. When I pray, Lord, your will be done. I am being asked to surrender my will and place my trust in God's will. Surrender human will, trust God's will. So when we say that, what does it actually mean when I talk about the will? A dictionary definition of the word will is the faculty by which a person decides on and initiates action. This is related to when we talk about willpower. So it's in my mind when I decide to do something, this is my power of action. A little bit deeper where this starts is the intent, desire, or wish for something. Our will is what we want to have happen. I think this is getting closer to what it means when we talk about God's will in this prayer. There's a scholar who studied the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. um, The Aramaic version of the Bible is used to this day by the Church of the East, Coptic Christians, and is a very valid version of the Lord's Prayer, and he studied this because he said that in Aramaic, we get to see a lot more um, detailed layers of the meanings of the words because the language is quite poetic. And so when he looked at the original Aramaic word in um, what is called the peshida, the Aramaic version of the Bible, the word for will, this is what he said. In Aramaic, the word carries the meaning of desire or a harmonious cooperation of movement that includes natural discipline. This kind of heart's desire means that one's goal or purpose has moved beyond the mental or the idea stage. It has become so much a part of oneself that one needs no longer think about it. So when we talk about the will, my will or God's will, I believe we're talking about this kind of deep core purpose, the full fundamental nature Of ourselves and then how that works out. We are talking about God's heart desire for the earth. And this really matters. Why does our will matter? Why does it matter whose will is at work? Will is the force behind what happens and what gets done. And what's going on with the human will really matters because from Genesis 1.28, we know that God gave the earth into our hands. So what we will, what we want, changes the trajectory of what happens in the whole of creation. Because God gave it into our hands and He set it up to be that way. At the beginning of humanity, we were made to be caretakers over creation. And this was fine at first. This actually worked really well because our will was aligned with God's will. We were in communication with him, in relationship with him. So our will was God's will and we worked it out. As Bishop Boniface Dio of Kenya says, at first communication with God flowed freely. But then he goes on to say, the fall introduced another communicator one whose commands contradicted those of God and God could no longer rely on humans to accomplish his will on earth. Our task of taking care of the earth suddenly got caught up in the complications of our own figuring out what was good and what was bad because now we're seeing the difference between good and evil for ourselves and now we have to wrestle with what to do. We are no longer perfectly aligned with the will of God, and therefore, what we will for the earth has gotten really complicated. But, I'm generally a pretty good person, you argue. I also want only good for people and for the world. I understand God, I want good things to happen, I'm nice, I'm kind, why do I have to surrender my will? I'm creative, God gave me my mind, I'm made in the image of God, shouldn't I still be able to do my will and and work out His will at the same time? Yes, I believe this is especially an important point for the church to talk about, because for centuries, when people ask, but what about good people? We've often just slapped the scripture reference, no one is good, not even one, onto it and left it at that and said, nope, we're all sinful, can't pay attention to humans, the end. But we all do know genuinely good people, Christians and non-Christians alike, people we admire, respect, and learn from, people who honestly work hard, people who are kind and innovative and good. Do these good people also need to pray your will be done? Yes, and here's why, this isn't a question of good versus bad, of wickedness versus goodness. This is actually a question of whose will is actually equipped to make the world a better place, a flourishing place, the place that it was designed to be. To help us understand this better, why it's not a question of good versus bad, but a question of whose will is actually equipped, we're gonna look at four attributes of humanity to help us understand how those features combine to make the human will a bad determiner of the course of the world. First, human beings are small. We're finite. That's just a fact. Like, we can't argue about that. We have limitations. We have a certain amount of years that we exist on the earth, and we have a small physical presence. Sure, the internet gives us a way to impact way more people today than we ever have been able to before, but still it's limited. I cannot go beyond the years of my life. I cannot speak to more people than I can physically encounter or virtually encounter. And I cannot see things that I have not taken in. I am small. You are small. Second, along with being small, We are singular. At the end of the day, no matter how many people I talk to, no matter how many books I read, TV shows I watch, podcasts I listen to, I can only know my own experience fully. My mind is the only mind that I will ever be inside of. I cannot know the thoughts and feelings of another human being. I can do my best to understand, expose myself to more, But at the end of the day, I am an individual in my body, in my mind. We've made this worse in the Western world by elevating the individual, but even in countries that are communal by nature, you still have the separation of flesh. Two people are distinct from one another. Third, the human being is inherently self-centered. Not always, not forever, but at the root of who we are, we function with a self-centered worldview. It's like the rest of life orbits around us because that is from where our perspective is. My perspective resides inside of me. Therefore, the rest of the world exists in relation to me. My worldview is self-centered. This ties into our limitations. If I was not singular and I was not small, maybe I wouldn't be so self-centered because I would have other experiences. But because my experience is the only experience I can ever fully know, my perspective resides from there, which makes me self-centered and self-protective at the core. This does refer to me as myself, but the self-centeredness can expand to include me and mine. So me and my immediate family, me and my people group, me and my country. We are naturally oriented to the things of ourselves. Fourth, and what I think is really the linchpin of where our accidental destructiveness comes in, human beings are naturally survival oriented. We are souls within bodies. We are living within a biological creation that has to play by the rules of the biological earth that we exist on today. Every creature, from the smallest mouse, to the largest whale, to every human being on the earth, in our DNA, wants to survive. We function at a core level to perpetuate ourselves and our species. This is not something that we always have to follow. We can intentionally walk away from this concept, but if we are just moving in our natural state of being without arguing with ourselves at all, we will work towards the survival of ourself and our people. We want to make ourselves continue. And this is really important to understand. We're born with this. This is not inherently an evil thing. We're not saying that I want myself to survive rather than you. Intellectually, on a surface level. But within my bones, this is what my body wants. My body wants to live. And so does yours. And God made us that way. We are supposed to crave life. That is not a bad thing. However, how this survival instinct works itself out with the help of our small perspectives, our separation from others, and our self-centered worldview can quickly turn into wickedness and evil. Very quickly, all these things combined together can move us towards doing wickedness in the world, whether we intended to do them or not. My human will, what I choose to do and work in the world, is informed and shaped by those four facts about me. I'm small, I'm singular, I'm alone in my own experience. That's part of part two. I have a self-centered view of the world and I am oriented towards working towards my survival. One, two, three, four. That is humanity. We can do work to moderate these things. And if we're lucky and we grew up with parents that care or a community that care, we will actually be raised towards maturity where we are less self-centered. We're learning about the experiences of others. We're learning how to be sacrificially loving. I'm not saying those things aren't true, but if we don't learn and if we don't choose at the core of being human, these are truths. So that's what marks the human will. Let's just quickly think about what this is in contrast with God. I'm small. God is big. God sees the entire picture. We could make a whole list of scripture references that tell us about how infinite God is. How there's nowhere we can go to flee from His presence. God's perspective is completely different from my small one. Two, God sees and knows into the heart of all people and all things. So not only is He everywhere and in every place and every time, but He sees differently in those places and in those times. He sees into the heart of man. The Gospels talk over and over again about how Jesus knows what is in the hearts of the people who are speaking to Him. God anointed King David to be the king of Israel. He told the prophet Samuel that God sees within the heart where man only sees the outside. So two points that give God a much better perspective than I have. Part three, God is constantly working towards the well-being of all of creation. He cares about everything and everyone that is in it. And If you're tempted to say, ah, but all of the Old Testament, he was sending the Israelites against the other people. He doesn't care about them. The arc of human history in the Bible is that God was opening his kingdom to every person who wanted to come in. There's a verse in Ezekiel 18 that talks about how God wants no one to perish. He wants us all to turn and come to Him because it is His desire that no one should die. No one should be lost. God cares, not just about Himself or His people, but about the entirety of His creation. And I guess that is caring about only Himself, but Himself is the whole of everything. So it's not Himself against. It is all-inclusive. Fourth and finally. God is sacrificially loving. He's not busy fighting for his own survival. He does not have to pursue his own life. He gives himself away time and time and time again for our good. You see this throughout the Old Testament and then we see it in the ultimate giving away in Christ dying for us on the cross. His love is grander than survival. Unlike us, God's four attributes give him the perspective and the inclination to have a will that truly can make this world a place of wholeness and goodness. We have our will and God's will. Quick recap. Look at the screen. You got a chart. Humans. One. Small and finite. God. Big. Infinite. Two. Humans, singular, alone. Two, God, everywhere, in everything, completely connected. Three, humans, self-centered. Three, God, cares about creation. Four, humans, survival-oriented. Four, God, sacrificial, everlasting, oriented toward the flourishing of the entire earth. Just look at that chart who would you rather have in charge of the destiny of the world? I know my answer. So why then does Jesus teach us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? (laughs) Most of the time, we don't have that chart in our heads. We need to recognize that most of the time, what drives our own will is the biological imperative of our bodies that has been shaped and changed by the need to survive in this broken and fallen, hostile world. When we're disconnected from the Holy Spirit that is within us, disconnected from the voice of Christ guiding us, and disconnected from the loving will of God, it is our small, singular, self-centered, survival-oriented instincts that take charge of our will. That is the will that is at the root of the dehumanization of other people for profit. That is the will that is at the root of using political office for personal gain, that Is the will that causes one group of people to enslave another, that causes a husband to violently beat his wife and children, that causes a lecturer to dismiss their students as lazy and stupid, that causes a pastor to use his power to manipulate his congregation, that causes the fear behind the militarization of police forces and then inflicts brutality on the people. That is the will That causes me to be rude to you when you just want to say hi and chat and I'm tired and cranky and I just want to have a nap. Confession. Yeah. It's my will. It's your will. And it has been hijacked when we're not paying attention by these facts about fallen humanity. When our survival instinct is running the show, we become vulnerable Not only to being run by our survival instincts, but we become vulnerable to being used without our knowledge by the powers of darkness. Even when we never personally set out to inflict evil or harm on other people. So last week, Yami talked about being agents of the kingdom of God. That's also what we're praying when we pray, your will be done. We recognize the ineptness of our will and pray your will be done. We aren't saying, okay, God, take over. Your will, not mine. I'm a robot, program me. Instead, this is a prayer that God would wake me and you and everyone else would wake us up to the way that our sleeping wills have wreaked havoc on the planet and on each other, and then captivate us with God's will and transform us into people who hear His voice, discern His will, and then do it here on earth. This is a prayer that the most trustworthy and loving Spirit of God would sweep the earth and catch up our hearts and imaginations with the goodness and glory of a healed and restored world and make us willing to surrender our small and singular perspectives to trust God's vast and interconnected one, to make us willing to surrender our self-centered, survival-oriented, self-protective ways of being to that of God's abundantly loving, sacrificially giving, arms wide, open, and perpetually forgiving ways of being. There's a whole second part to this message about God's will and how you know it and how you learn it and the fact that praying your will be done is the most Christ reflective thing we can do on the earth and how the will of God is all throughout Matthew. And there's reasons I wanted to preach it, but the Holy Spirit just kept unpacking this question. Why is my will not good enough? Why is the human will, people made in the image of God, Why are we not able to do the good things of God? The Holy Spirit just kept bringing me back, bringing me back. Surrender and trust. So this is where we have to stop. Have you ever understood yourself like this? Not as condemned, wicked, broken, but as a human being with an incredibly small perspective and a strong, functioning body that is wired to protect itself at all costs? Have you ever recognized within yourself that war that the Apostle Paul refers to in the book of Romans when he talks about how he does the things he does not want to do and he fails to do the things that he knows he should do? That's the outworking of the strife between your embodied and troubled will and your spirit that continuously yearns for the will of God to flourish within you and on the earth. This conflict exists externally with the clashing of kingdoms, but it exists and it begins internally as our souls yearn to be aligned with God. We have to say your will, not my will, inside so that we can then outside act out the will of God. So this week, take some time. Could be getting up in the morning with a small cup of tea, cup of coffee, and sitting down. Could be going on a walk in your neighborhood. Could be locking yourself in your car at your lunch break. Find a small space to be by yourself with the Lord. And ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you with this. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's guidance because if I do it in my own will and power, then I'm probably not going to find the survival mechanisms that are at work that I'm not noticing. So... Ask the Holy Spirit to help you walk through this. One, where are my survival mechanisms working away without me being aware of them? And two, where is something, where is a situation that I have a very distinct plan and will that I would like to happen? Acknowledge what that will is, acknowledge what your desire is, and then ask Holy to come in and help you truly and honestly surrender that desire to God. Finally, ask the Spirit of God to help you, comfort you, and assure you as you trust in the will of God, even when, as when Jesus was murdered and hung on a cross, the outworking of the will of God looks incredibly like the enemy is winning. Let's pray. Jesus, We love you and we trust you. God, thank you for being our good father. Thank you for being powerful and with us and having a will that works for the good of all. Holy Spirit, move within us this week. Help us to know you, know our wills, and to receive your love. Help us to work well within the world as we align our will to yours and be transformed into agents of your goodness, justice, mercy, and grace. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Love you, fam.